I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And at the same time, you know, like, we don't have to love everything about ourselves. This is not the goal. I mean, that'd be cute. (laughs) But like in a perfect world, but like we, we are all imperfect, but it's what we do with it. Hey there, and welcome back to Unique Therapy Podcast. I am the host, Catherine, you can call me Kat, and I am so excited you're here. Haven't given a shout out to Alex who has created my intro music in a really long time. So I wanted to definitely do that before we get started here. So Alex, thank you so much again for our special intro music that you made just for us. You can follow Alex at at Booth Tunes on Instagram. That's B-O-O-T-H-T-U-N-E-S. I am so grateful and excited to share a new episode with y'all today. One that is also very important and is it's a topic that I could talk about every single episode, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, the topic is body image. I have my friend and colleague, which is like such a weird word to use describing her, but I guess she is, Crystal. She owns and founded Horizon Nutrition Counseling, which is actually housed in the same little cute building slash house um, that my practice is on Music Row. And so I see her every day, talk to her almost... Well, I talk to her, yeah, every day. And she's been just a great asset for me in my whole journey of learning about eating disorders and getting into the work. I've known her ever since I started. Crystal is literally the best. I, I feel like I already said that, especially if you live here in Nashville too. So if you are looking for a dietitian, you you need to find find her as soon as possible. Anyway, she's so smart. I tell her all the time. She's genius. She's relatable and she's very real. And I think this episode really highlighted all of that. I'm pumped for you guys to get to hear from her. And one thing I also want to add that she's a registered dietitian. She's also a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, which is a pretty big deal. And it takes a lot to get that certification. And so, you know, when you go to see Crystal and you're struggling with these kinds of things, or if you talk to her, if you hear what she's saying, she's not making things up. She has gone above and beyond to get the trainings and certifications to be able to talk about this stuff with confidence and expertise. Now, before I get us into that conversation, I do want to put out there the disclaimer that this podcast is not actual therapy. I am coming to y'all as Kat, the human who happens to be a therapist, but I'm not giving you therapy on this podcast. And I want this podcast to be a Kickstarter that gets you thinking and moving into your into your own healing that hopefully you engage in with a professional throughout that through this experience if you are able to do that to help widen um, the experience you're having and if you're already doing your own therapy this can just be an addition but this right here is not 
actual therapy and I cannot give you actual therapy on Instagram or any of that. So I just want to put that out there. But you can use this information as a way to get into your own therapy. Also, side note, most licensed professionals can only practice in states which they're licensed. So for example, I'm licensed. I'm a licensed therapist in Tennessee. That means that I can only work with clients who live in Tennessee. The same goes for Crystal when it comes to medical nutrition counseling. So if you love her and you want to work with her, please reach out to her. She's amazing. But do know that she can only work with people doing medical nutritional counseling who live and reside in Tennessee. And I think that's where it gets a little wishy-washy and gray, especially with the whole idea of coaching and what their guidelines and rules are. But when you have a license, it's something that is highly regulated on purpose. There is a reason that what we're doing is regulated because we don't want and the people out like licensing boards are there to protect people. And so if there are strict rules and regulations around them, it's probably because the stuff that we do is serious and we can't just be out there throwing stuff every which way because every state has a different licensing board. So I do want to put that out there. I know a lot of people have reached out to me and I can only work with people who live in Tennessee. I'm sure that there are people out there that would kind of ignore those guidelines. I I'm not one of those. I really do not want to do something that would harm somebody else. And so I listen to the rules as much as I can. Oh, I also want to say, (laughs) Crystal does mention in this conversation, all professionals are not created equal. And that is so true. If you're someone who is struggling with body image or eating disorder behaviors, I suggest you find a professional, whether it's a dietitian or a therapist that's trained in those areas, which goes into what I was saying before about Crystal is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian. Sadly, anyone can say they work with anything. So do your homework before taking in information from just whoever you find on the internet. Now, enough of that. Let's get into this conversation with Crystal. I can't control the volume of my voice. Because when I talk about stuff, I get really heated. Oh. And my voice has (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Why Why are you yelling? Why are you yelling? Because body image. image. (laughs) Okay. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up on the coast of North Carolina on a really small island called Oak Island. Do you know where the outer... (laughs) Do you just like, of course you do. Do you know where the Outer Banks Yes, is? I do. Did I ever tell you that I grew up going there every summer? No. We had a house in Duck. It's six hours from where I'm from, so. Oh, that's not. <laughs> it's, okay. Yeah, never actually I go thought there. we had a connection. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, keep going. But it actually just got hit by the hurricane a couple days ago. And um, yeah, but that's where I grew up. It was really a cool place to be in beach life. And- so you grew up in North Carolina and you went to school in MTSU. So tell me about how you made that choice. Right. MTSU is a great school and it's very random. It's super random. No one leaves North Carolina thinking like, I'm going to go to MTSU. Okay. Also, MTSU is a great school. Unless they went for like <laughs> something specific. Again. Right. Yeah. They have all of those. You, you, okay. <laughs> but the way I got to uh, Nashville and M- MTSU, it all started when I was 14. And there was just some family trauma that happened. And out of that, I got into a sticky relationship that lasted until I was, oh, 29. <laughs> um, and so anyway, he was a musician and wanted to move to Nashville and I actually got married to him when I was 18 and I so, also did not know yeah. you got married at 18 I did not know that yeah yeah well it was out of you know that relationship was out of this trauma and trauma bonding is what I learned later I don't know that I've explained that do you want oh. to explain what trauma bonding is <laughs> no I'm not the therapist here <laughs> but you know what it is I mean it's it's a trauma no you I can't say it right <laughs> Okay, a trauma bond is when you create a relationship or bond with somebody while you're moving through a traumatic experience. It can be good and bad. So if you get a serious illness like cancer or something and you're married and your husband goes to all of your appointments with you and you move through that process and it brings you closer, you can create a healthy trauma bond. Like you are bonded to that person. They helped move you through that experience. If your husband is healthy, that's okay. 
a trauma bond can also happen in a negative way, which is like that whole idea of Stockholm syndrome. Like when the people come become in love with their captors, it's because they are going through trauma and the people that are closest to them, that's who you're going to pull in for like safety mm-hmm. and connection. And so they're connected to these people. And as they're surviving their trauma, they think it is all, you know, really fucks with your head. So you're saying I trauma bonded with this person and it, it might not be that he was the right person for me, but he was there and available and gave me the things that I needed to survive while I was experiencing this unrest or eruption in my family system or wherever yes. your trauma happened. That was beautifully said. Thank you. <laughs> you can find me at three quarter therapy.com. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But really. I mean, you can't. <laughs> Yes. So, um, so he moved to Nashville and I did my first year of college in North Carolina. And then when we got married, I graduated high school when I was 17. Oh, so that's why that happened. Not because I'm super smart, but, <laughs> but because I just started school at an earlier age and then, yeah. And then when we got married, I moved here and then needed to finish so you got college married before you moved. Yeah. And then I moved here like right after the wedding and that was trauma of itself because I moved from a a tiny little island to Nashville and I was like, what is an interstate? (laughs) You know, my first time driving on an interstate was on my way to college. I was 18. (laughs) Well, I accidentally got on the interstate once on the way to my doctor's office (laughs) and I panicked. I thought I was turning on like a side street and I was ended up on the interstate and I called my mom and I was like, mom, mom, I'm on the interstate. I don't know what to do. My mom was like, get off. Get off. <laughs> That's like that on Clueless. Do you remember when they accidentally got on the interstate? <laughs> That's, That's exactly oh what I'm God. picturing. <laughs> yeah, it was not great. Okay. So what was your process of I'm 18 and I'm married and now I'm going to go to college? Did the people around you, were they like, oh, you're married? What was that? Yeah, there was, I felt um, embarrassed. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I didn't like to tell, like, the adults around me, like, when I got into a church and stuff, when people were asking, you know, I was, I felt embarrassed because people, the next thing they would say is, oh, you know, or like, look really. So it wasn't like an exciting thing for you? Like, it wasn't because I think part of me knew, like, this probably isn't a great idea. And my mom, like, everyone was against it. And um, oh, your family was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know what. <laughs> There's some, my, my family. Anyway, it was just very, like, this is a terrible decision. And because they saw, like, our whole relationship since I was 14, you know, I had a raging eating disorder at the time and too. And so that wasn't, you know, everything and the moving. 10 11 hours from my family and not knowing anyone was scary and at the same time i'm really thankful for it because i wouldn't be who i am today yeah that's one of those things where it's like i'm grateful for my life i'm grateful for what i have and i'm really pissed maybe pissed i might be putting Mm -hmm. feelings on you i wouldn't choose to find all of these things that way but it did help me find those things right does that make sense yeah that's how i feel about some of my stuff i'm like it ended up good in the end, but I wish we could have gotten here yeah. on a different road. Uh, yeah, I guess in my ex-husband, you know, he, the idea of like, we were meant to be together, you know, when we say that it was like forever. And it's like, I think maybe we were meant to be mm-hmm. together. He did get me through like this really hard time. It, that doesn't mean like we were meant to be together forever, Ever. you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So you went to MTSU and then what were you thinking you were going to do? Um, I didn't know. So I actually, I, in, I entered in, it was my sophomore year at that point, um, undecided. And then because I didn't know what I was doing, I ended up, you know, well, my husband's in the, you know, in music. So like, maybe I'll go into music, which I hated. And I got, a, and I was failing the classes and Why'd it was so bored. It? it was boring. very boring. I had, I had no interest in it at all. I like music, but I'm not in the music business and that my, my brain just doesn't work that way. So that was a waste of going through that process. And then also very active in an eating disorder. So it was just kind of those things were like confirming how terrible of a person I was and I was a failure and 
not smart and all those things. And so then I met this lady at a pool at our apartment complex, mind you, and was telling her the story of like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And she was like, you know what you should do? I got it. Be a dental hygienist. And I was like, yeah, except I have dental trauma and I actually can't even get myself to walk into a dentist, like let alone touch people's teeth. Like I can't even like acknowledge my own. <laughs> like why would this be a great idea? Except I was like, maybe so. And it was just like what she did, you know, yeah. and you know, everyone should do that. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll try that. So then <laughs> I um, changed my major to that and I thought it was like a pro. I didn't know you had to go to get an undergrad degree to do that. I thought it was like a program you did. I, I changed my major to pre-dental. Oh. Um, and I, what a shift, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is the example of when you literally have no idea who you are. Right. Well, for sure. For sure. And, um, yeah, it was like every day it was like, why am I here? What am I doing? Yeah. It was tough. So, that didn't work out, but one of the classes that was required for that major was a basic nutrition class. And I went to that class the first day and it was like this it, active in your eating disorder, super active, which was, which looked like what, like behavior wise, restricting, binging, purging through vomiting, laxatives, okay, so exercise, we had all. Okay. all the, so we things. call this everything <laughs> yes all everything i was okay. very sick i got a hold of adderall i had a little dealer on campus did you know that it was bad i knew it was got i was getting bad okay and i knew i was super miserable did um, anybody know i'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for god to give you your next step and you don't know what it is yet you need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents she's got all of these maseratis and bentley's all in the driveway is it like a mansion yes it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Had a little dealer on campus. Did you know that it was bad? I knew it was got, it was getting bad, okay. and I knew I was super miserable. Did um, anybody know? No, because I didn't know anyone. And your husband? And he was just like, why are you taking laxatives? And, and then was like, dye your hair blonde. <laughs> I was like, he added to the fact that you needed to do these things. Yes. To maintain yeah. image. For sure. Right. Did you have he blonde hair? More. I'll show you some pictures. Okay. That's <laughs> pretty terrible. Okay. So, I have very dark brown hair. <laughs> so being yeah. this is my natural color yeah and it's you know like you have a really color pretty colored brown people dye mm-hmm. their hair that color right they should like i should they have should. no i know i should <laughs> no no they i you should have been known yeah. like that i had had i had normal hair well, you shouldn't have i mean <laughs> shooting on like again to paint a picture what i'm hearing is there you're this super young person whose brain hasn't fully developed yet who's gone through this whole experience of life and relationships have changed as i knew them and kind of blew up when i was a teen preteen. i find this person to help me feel okay and i feel okay if he's okay with me so now you're maintaining your image so he's okay with you mm. and that came in a form of an eating disorder probably i'm assuming like how you dressed and presented yourself and spoke mm. and yeah but i was also a mute like i i was almost like you i never spoke and when i did you could barely hear me and it was all like a lot of things happen like growing up and stuff where i i really thought like i was dumb like i was a really dumb person and if i spoke people would hear that i was really dumb so like i didn't speak and and my ex was would speak for me so like i didn't i didn't it was a whole thing <laughs> so yeah um, yeah it was there's a lot do you want to do, do you need therapy <laughs> do you need therapy? do you want okay i'm gonna move my chair back and we're, no, but you i what i'm thinking in my head because when i met you you were married yeah. i met you 2013 which is wild no i met 2012 i don't know just not that important 13. i think it was 13 and i remember so we were working in a men's program. You only worked with men at that time? Mm-hmm. Okay. Men's program of a treatment center. And I was an intern. And you know, when you're, like, you're younger, you think everybody's like so much older and wiser than you. I remember after a, it was after a staffing, which is when like the whole treatment team would come together and we talk about cases. And I think my supervisor i don't think she was frustrated with me but i think she just was like you need to speak up more because to me she'd say and afterwards you said you need to find your inner bitch you need to start being more of a bitch (laughs) and i was like i can't do that because but what's funny is i couldn't do that because in my story i had a lot of people when i was younger say that i was a bitch and say that i was mean but i wasn't I don't believe I was mean. I think I was like really insecure. I might've come off as mean, but people would even say like, I have resting bitch face. And they're like, I don't even look welcoming. And I never wanted to give that after I went to college I never wanted that reputation. I wanted to be the nice one and like the welcoming one and the forgiving one and sweet one. So when you were like, you need to be a bitch. I was like, no, because in my story, when you're a bitch, people don't like you and Mm -hmm. they don't want to be a part of you. And anyway it's that's not important what's important is that is such a stark yeah to what you were so before like you did not you needed to find your inner bitch but so Mm -hmm. you were just like i'll do what you say because i think really low of me yeah 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 you went you changed your major and you went to a nutrition class that's where we got off yes yes so i went into this class and as soon as the teacher started talking, I was like, it was like this beam of light came down and was like, this is what you're doing the rest of your life. And it was like this whole, like meant to be like in my body. Like I felt something like click. This is what you're supposed to do. 
and it never occurred to me to do like go into nutrition be, even when I was going through like therapy as a child, you know, if, when I was in my eating disorder as a teenager and, and I, like, I never put it together like that I could do that or what a dietitian was. Like I thought they were like the person talking to me about nutrition as a teenager was like a, a nurse or somebody yeah. in the medical profession. I didn't realize like, that's a thing. This was a profession, you know, so I just, I didn't put it together. And so that day I went to the dean and was like, change my major to nutrition. <laughs> and then that semester, I also got news that I was failing out of college and that I was going to be suspended for a whole year. And so... Wait, did you have an inclination that that was happening? No, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I always knew, like, I always think I'm failing anyway. Yeah. But at that point my eating disorder was so bad. I never went to class and I did in my mind, I was going to class. And so if you don't go, you, you fail, you don't know what's happening. When you take a test, you fail it, you know, but in my mind, I was like, yeah, well, duh, because you're dumb. Like this is all evidence that yes, that you knew your entire life that like yeah. you are not smart and you're not going to be anything. And why are you here? <laughs> and so to me, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, I expected this because why wouldn't it happen? Yeah. And so I went to one of the professors and I was like, I don't understand, you know, like, why am I failing? And she was like, where are you? Like, you're not in class. Like, what are you doing when it's class time? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and where I was, was okay. MTSU has a beautiful gym mm -hmm. I was gonna say, gym. <laughs> so when I would go to school because I had a, I commuted like a 45 minute drive there um I would go to the gym it was two stories they had classes all day there was you know there's a cardio like everything and so I would be there for six to seven hours a day I was passing out on machines I started eating half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the shower stall because I didn't want anyone to see me eating. <laughs> oh, and then I would God. go back out because I was passing out and they told me I couldn't come back. And so the gym told you you can't. Yeah, come. until like I had some sort of doctor thing. And so what I started to do is I learned everyone's schedule. And then because it's two stories, I would spend half the day like upstairs, like I would take a class and then like go walk around the track and then take another class. And then I'd go downstairs and do some like weights and then I'd go back up to the cardio area like I had a whole thing and then I would go to the um like cafeteria where they had a buffet and I had like a meal plan so I could just go eat whenever and I would go in there at the end of breakfast and I would stay in there to the start of lunch and I basically like would binge on like the buffet. So anyway, once that kind of was brought to my attention, when I uh, took that year off, I got some help mm -hmm. and um, I took a couple like online classes at a community college and, and then was able to start my nutrition degree in the summer of 2007. And then once I started that, I had straight A's, it's killing it. Cause your and, brain was And it back was like, on. it was back on, but like I found like my calling in life, like yeah. my passion and I loved it so much. So yeah, that's how it happened. How that happened. <laughs> I wonder there's a part of me that's like, were you attracted to the idea of being a dietitian out of your eating disorder? Mm -hmm. It no, feel like it that. never, okay. it never clicked to me. Oh, it didn't. And even in my internship, I did my internship at Vanderbilt. Someone from the treat, like from the treatment center came and like talked about eating disorder treatment. And I was like, I would never do that. <laughs> and then my first job was working at this treatment right. center. And it was just like, and it was, be, it was meant to be like, it was like crystal, you're going to have to take a back seat because you will ruin everything. Let just yeah. let me take you on this ride because I will get you to where you're 
hopes and dreams are. <laughs> and Wait, so. that's when you started going to school and started actually enjoying what you were learning and being aware, what did that do to one, your sense of identity, but also your relationship? Mm-hmm. And I'm actually realizing I'm yeah. smart. I didn't realize I was smart until working at the ranch for about a year when I gained like confidence in what I was, t- when I knew any client could walk in the door and I would have some idea of how to help them in some sort of way. And when I figured out, like, I don't have to, like, I have it in my brain, like this knowledge that I can actually share without reading in it. And then like having a meltdown because I can't retain it, you know, and that kind of stuff. And once I did that, I noticed like people was respecting me. People would ask me to to like, Yeah. And like people were asking me to do speaking engagements and stuff. I just became more and more confident. And then I learned so much from the therapist about trauma bond and about narcissism and gaslighting and relationship addiction, like all of these things. And I was like, oh my gosh. And at the same time, my relationship while I was there was horrible. And I didn't I realize never wanted to go home (laughs) yeah well so because my everybody knew that you like worked a lot (laughs) I didn't know everyone knew that well I guess not everybody I probably talked to like five people there but but it was more like you're obsessed with working as in like passion I didn't know the behind the scenes story of that of like why you worked so much yeah I imagine it's part because I'm finding this thing that actually makes me feel good about myself and that makes me not want to go home right because I don't I get to have that space. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you start working at the ranch. You didn't know you wanted to work on eating disorders. You went there more as like a dietitian, and then you worked, you started working with eating disorders. How'd that happen? I started working there as a exercise specialist and dietitian okay. working in the more like addiction okay. realm and not necessarily working in the eating disorder house because you weren't yeah you never did the eating disorder program right um but we had men that came in Mm -hmm. with it for sure i want you to tell me about and you can put your personal spin on this you can talk about it personally and what that meant but also what makes you now passionate about the eating disorder work and the body image work i see you as like an expert do you see yourself as an expert yes okay is that hard for you to say it (laughs) and what's the what courses do you teach at Lipscomb I I teach in the graduate program uh eating disorders the counseling it's um, counseling they have a class on eating disorders they do yeah I've been teaching there since 2014 yes I didn't know that was graduate oh my god (laughs) (laughs) okay that is so cool Vanderbilt did not have that well, I created it because, so I did my master's at Lipscomb and the director, my, one of my professors became the director and I, while I was working at the ranch, I, you know, I had wealth of knowledge yeah. and experience and I reached out to her and was like, you know, I'd love to teach if there's ever an opportunity. And she was like, well, what would you teach? And I was like, well, you know, as far as I know, I mm-hmm there's not any really universities around here that teach eating disorders. And this is a huge deal for people in the counseling program and the nutrition and exercise science programs. At that point, they didn't have pharmacy or anything yet, but I was just like, this is something that people need to not just know exists, but like need to to know about. Yeah. And like treatment and all that. And so, um, it's so, because it's so hard to miss because eating disorders can look like health. I think a lot. Right. The One of the very first things I say in the very first class is that eating disorders looks like everyone. Yeah. And I say that because I know there's probably going to be people in the class with eating, eating disorders. disorders. Yeah. And so I say that because I also talk about like, we're going to this, we're going to talk about some things that could bring up personal stuff. And mm-hmm. I need to know if you don't feel safe, if you, you know, if you need support, please come talk to me after class. And, you know, and that has happened many times. And, uh, and one of the things, the, the very first assignment they get is for them to write a paper on their 
nutrition philosophy and how it has evolved over the course of their lifespan, because it gives me an idea of what's in the class, Mm -hmm. but it gives them the opportunity to actually put it on paper because a lot of times no one's ever asked them to do that. And then as they're writing, they're like, Oh wow. (laughs) Like this This is is actually really hard for me to acknowledge. And you know, and this is what I want out of this class. And what I also tell them is that this class is not eating disorder treatment for you. <laughs> Cause that Which has is, happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That makes me, I can't, I, this is me holding myself accountable. I can't take something else on. That makes me want to like reach out to Vanderbilt and be like, you need this. Yeah. Because it really should be something that's taught to people who are going to go out. They have an addictions class, but they don't mm-hmm. have how would you frame like your food philosophy or your philosophy of treating any client really? You know, we legalize all foods, all foods fit. Okay. That makes me feel I don't know. really That's... comfortable with me sending half my clients to you. <laughs> if you were like kale. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to know something that became really evident to you as somebody who did not have training on body image work before that you probably got some while you were there yeah because going into that stuff this is what a lot of people think is body image work is learning how to love what your body looks like and changing your opinions of what your body looks like it's kind of what i think people come into it thinking what is a much bigger thing than that And I do not think body image work can be scaled down to learning how to love what your body looks like. I don't think that's what the point is. I think a lot of people think that's the point. And that's why it seems like almost impossible. I think a lot of people teach it that 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 is the point. Especially on social media platforms. There's a lot of very positive accounts, but they um, bolster body image work and the positive body image movement as learning to love what everything looks like. When that might not be something that's possible yeah, or feel like it's possible. So I want to know what your process and and what you learned about body image work throughout your career, because it might have shifted and what it means to you now. Yeah. We had incredible training and mentors at the ranch. So valuable, especially early in your profession when you're learning, you want to learn the right stuff. You know, I, when I was an intern, I worked through the summer because I was like, I can't get enough of this. That's why I worked all the time. I genuinely loved being there. Yeah. It was like a family. Uh, Yeah. What I really learned first was that body image is such a brain game. Like it really is in the way that I look at it. It's so tied into like your nervous system and the way I kind of describe it is we can see a poisonous snake on the ground and our nervous system reacts with like, oh my God, danger, danger, fight or flight. And that's kind of what we can perceive our body as like this thing that's like terrifying. We can't look at it and we can't even begin to touch it because your brain is like, that is going to kill you. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. 
tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Why are you about to touch or touching like a hot stove? I'm asking you to put your hand on a hot stove and keep it there. Mm-hmm. You know, your brain and nervous system will not allow that to happen. You know, you know what is it's speaking of trauma bonds is a lot of us through our experience of our eating disorder. We talk a lot about like how eating disorders become like friends almost, mm-hmm. but you become trauma bonded to the eating disorder. Yes. And so because it's at mm-hmm. some point it has saved you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it becomes it's like, okay, well, now you're ruining my life. And trauma bonded to the negative body image. Yes. Because if you get rid of the negative body image, the eating disorder might not be as important to you. Once you understand that, you understand what the brain is doing. It's like, okay, now we have all of these tools and strategies to work with it mm-hmm. and to to increase cellular density in areas that are really low. You know, what does to that get, mean? That means so like... You know, the brain is not a muscle, but if you imagine it as a muscle, when you're doing like bicep curls, the more you exercise that muscle, it's going to get stronger and it could get bigger and because it increases the the cells, right? Mm -hmm. Cellular density. So then the more cellular density you have, the more blood flow and more capillaries that have to grow to fuel those cells which is more oxygen more nutrients so that it thrives and so when we don't use Mm -hmm. those parts of the brain based on like different traumas or whatever it is the cellular density can go down and that's why you can get so stuck in in these parts of you know like the negative body image and so the therapeutic strategies you used is to really focus on increasing that cellular density and it's so hard because it's like you're you're picking up a 50 pound dumbbell and you've never picked up a yeah yeah and it's like that's hard and it hurts (laughs) and you don't want to do it Mm -hmm. you know and so and that's what this what's what working on body image is like too and eating disorder behaviors yeah and you and i were having a conversation in our very cute office Mm -hmm. the other day about body image and i was talking about this one part of us that understands this logic of yeah i get that i get what you're saying catherine that makes sense to me and i know you're right but then there's this belief system which is a more emotional side of you that can't grab onto that and that emotional side is attached to the nervous system which is attached to how you respond to trauma and how you have been carried and cared for and how you've survived your trauma and your experiences. And when I say trauma, I mean everything from these big T traumas again to this emotional little T Mm -hmm. type traumas. And there is this block in between the logic and the emotion. And there, it almost is like the emotional brain is like pushing that block 
and it's like pushing the logic farther and farther and farther away. And what, do you remember what you said to me after that? Is this when we were talking about that's called the allocentric lock theory? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. That was a concept that Dr. Ralph Carson presented. He was brilliant. And I loved, I saw, I think I became this like, I was like obsessed like with everything he said and I think in one year I saw him speak like six or seven times <laughs> like it's like so how sad. I am with Britney Spears <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I follow her on Instagram so. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah he introduced that concept of the allocentric lock theory it's really when we think of things being burned into our memory where you can recall the exact feeling what you were wearing what part of the store you were in what like every single detail even though it was decades ago and it and it brings you back and that can look like you when if you were bullied as a child if you for your size and that trauma gets burned into your memory to where you live and behave in your body like you were the eight-year-old kid that was bullied or anytime some something gets challenged you know someone makes a comment about something you all of a sudden drop back into this eight-year-old and start behaving Mm -hmm. like that saying that it almost is like oh my god this makes sense now because i think a lot of people get frustrated when they're like catherine i know that you're right like i i truly know that you're right i cannot feel that yeah in me and i know that is right for every other person when we're just talking for if we're just sticking with body image stuff because this can be applied to anything right but like Catherine, i know that you're right and i know when i say these things I don't totally make sense. Like I know nothing makes sense. And that's where there's this CBT, which is like so helpful and it really helps with logic, but it does not completely help with the emotional part of changing what's going on. And so what we do is it's, you have to experience something new. Yeah. You have to experience your body differently over and over again Mm -hmm. until your brain it's not just a decision you can make like that logic. It's not rational. It's emotional. And the emotions can be soothed with that, that exposure to mm-hmm. what is so stimulating. And that's why like when I use the snake analogy, because that's poisonous snake that you're so terrified of is actually a garden hose, <laughs> right? It's yes. this completely harmless inanimate object like food yeah right in our bodies but we perceive it as something different as something that is a threat Mm -hmm. and we have to get out we have Mm -hmm. to get out of our bodies and we do that with our eating disorders and like everything i got i have goosebumps (laughs) i get so excited (laughs) (laughs) we're the same because I find myself, like, even on here, a couple, like, I'll listen back and I'm like, Catherine, what is happening? But it's like, when you find something like this that makes so much sense, yes. you want to share this information with everybody right. and you want to, like, almost hammer it into everybody's brains. Right. And the thing about this is we can't. So even hearing this, people are going to be like, oh, my God, yes. But it is not going to click for you and yeah. your stuff until you experience a new experience. You need to pick up the snake and realize that it's a garden. Yes. Mess. And we actually talked about this a couple weeks ago because we did talk about trauma and the body and how they're connected. But you made this point that I want to highlight that is really pertinent to just body images. That's why when you are in your eating disorder or in recovery, like you might find a pair of like hold up a pair of shorts and be like, there's no way I can fit into these. And then they're way too big for you kind of thing. Yes. It's because you are experiencing your body not as what it actually is but what it felt like xyz even if even if you were even if you could have still fit in those pants or shorts back when you're remembering this experience i know for me i'll speak for me this is a great example this is a little bit my trauma i mentioned this in one of the earliest episodes but so when i was in fifth grade 
I was on the playground and I had been like bullied by like a group of girls for a little bit of time, but I don't have any other stark memories of them saying things except this one is burned playing kickball hunters bend elementary in Franklin, Tennessee. My teacher was Mr. Plunk. He was the coolest teacher. Anyway, I'm playing kickball <laughs> and, um, a girl, one of the girls that like was in the like cool crowd that didn't like me who were my friends the year before yelled like in front of everybody like hey Catherine defada maybe you should think about drinking a slim fast and not so many milkshakes i was probably like nine ten and i just remember i mean so much stuff happened after that and it's just sad, sad to me that i spent half of my life thinking that i wasn't cute but that is that one of those experiences of she this girl told me that about myself. I believed it. I mean, it was connected to some other things that happened too, but I didn't, wouldn't have thought that even if I could fit in that outfit or whatever, I wouldn't have thought that. Like I literally saw myself differently than what I looked like. I remember looking at my kneecaps. I played soccer. So, you know, you have like your soccer shorts and then your kneecap and then you have like the high there's a baby there's a baby here, by the way. <laughs> and then the high like you have your shin guards and so only really like part of your thigh and your kneecap shows yeah. and i remember like comparing my kneecaps to everybody else's kneecaps at the soccer on the soccer field so tying that back to the original content of that is we all not all but a lot of us have those experiences of like i don't understand why i thought that about myself when i wasn't and i don't know why i think i logically know, don't know why i think this about myself even though i'm not right. And it's and that, but as a child, your brain is the prefrontal cortex is nowhere near developed enough for you to rationalize. Hey, kids are jerks. They're fucking jerks. You know, they suck. Yeah, and they say stupid shit mm-hmm. that traumatizes the rest of our lives mm-hmm. because we cannot, in that moment, rationalize that. Hey, maybe they those kids over there are bullies because they have a home life that makes them unhappy mm-hmm. and they're taking it out on me mm-hmm. they don't a lot of adults don't have that right. insight right you know <laughs> but yeah. but that is what that is why those little things carry with us and if we don't do something to get out of that before our brain really solidifies then that is what we live in that is our truth and how we behave and that's what that allocentric lock is it's that it's those things are locked and they're not transitioned to long-term memory because they stay in our short term like this is what's happening and when your body changes where the instead of that's what happened it's in this this is happening now versus long-term memory that is like this is still truth Mm -hmm. and this is how i'm going to behave with it i've had um triathletes and iron men who believe that they they do that sport because they have this strong belief that if i'm in a larger body or have body fat at all that i am unlovable and it's because of traumatic bullying that they experienced that made them believe that and so they behave in that way but they even though they can look in the mirror and see that they are very lean, they have all this ability, physical ability, they still are acting like the the little kid that was bullied. Mm-hmm. And that's the driver. And so it's that new experience over and over again that like you're you're a triathlete you're actually running away like that's what this is about you're running away from that little kid versus getting the getting the going towards the little kid and telling him there's actually nothing wrong with him right the more you do that behavior the more you're solidifying what we're trying to yes fight so the more we act in our eating disorder the more we act in those behaviors the more we are sending the message to ourselves that those people who i logically know are wrong or are acting out of their own stuff are right and it's going to be really painful like right there's this period of time where it's like i just have to trust cat that you're telling the truth or trust crystal that like this is going to work you have to go through this process of not acting as that kid who believes those things in order for new stuff to be able to come about because 
if that person, the triathlete, let's say they stopped running away from that kid and actually was like, Hey, I, I'm going to love you and I'm going to care for you. And there's nothing wrong with you. They would lose the need to be a triathlete. Right. If it wasn't their like professional career. Yes. Right. It's just like our eating disorders. Right. You know, like I don't, I don't need this. Yeah. And it's you know, it's not working for me anymore. So, and, and I don't know if you have this, when I would look in my, at myself in the mirror in my eating disorder, I was so always so distraught. Like you would not find me running in a sports bra. I remember like when tight leggings became a thing before it was like more baggy sweatpants mm-hmm. and stuff like that at the gym and like big baggy, like Nike shorts. But when tight leggings became a thing, I was like, I can't wear those. And now I'm who knows how much different my weight is. Cause I don't weigh myself and I will run in a sports bra workout in a sports bra all day long. But it's because I'm not looking at myself like that girl in the playground who is being made fun of. I'm looking at myself. I'm I'm essentially looking at that girl in the playground and saying, there's nothing wrong with you. Actually, I think that like she's upset about who knows what's going on with her dad. You know what I mean? And that it's didn't like happen overnight. N- no. Right? You didn't. Like you weren't like, years. oh, wait. No, no, no. Leggings. No. Let's do this. No. No, it wasn't. It was, it was years. I mean, I would say it was like at least five years of like, okay little steps i'm gonna it, but it started with i'm gonna i'm gonna try to stop leaning into that stuff so every time i have an urge to take care of my negative body image or sense of self through one of these behaviors i'm going to see what happens when i don't or i'm going to say something nice to myself or i'm going to say something that somebody in my life now who loves me i'm going to say something that they would say to me rather than that in your work in recovery, how did your body image become affected? Because it's like, you're not learning any of, you might've gone through the motions, but not even learned them. Or it could have been like, I'm going to do these things and not really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing the behaviors anymore, but do, am I evaluating what's happening in my body and my mind and my sense of mm-hmm. self? Um, when I was getting help with my eating disorder, we, we, it was all behavior. It was all, yes, it was all eating disorder and behaviors and like why I am the way I am sort of stuff. So it wasn't about body image. And then when I got, when I was pregnant with my first um, child who is almost nine now that I was like 24, something like that. Um, once I had her, my body like changed and that was at that point I had been in, you know, like a good recovery for a couple of years. And I was like, Oh my God, like, what am I going to do? Especially being a dietitian, like, I mean, there is this pressure of like, you have to have this, this, you have to look a certain way. And it was like, Oh my gosh, no one's going to listen to me if I look like this. Yes. You know? And it's just like, Oh my God, I have to do something. I didn't really get a sense of body image at all, or even the term until I started working at the ranch. And honestly, I, my brain changed while I was there Mm -hmm. because I said things over and over and over until I absolutely believe them, Mm -hmm. you know, because my brain was like, Yes. And I had evidence to also show that like what I'm saying is actually turning into fact, you know, it's not. And that's what has has helped me. And then just kind of using my own skills and knowledge and applying it to that being around really positive people like you, Catherine. Thank you. (laughs) You know, and just seeing like other people practice the same things. And at the same time, have day, you know, like. We, we don't days. have to love everything about ourselves. Yeah. That's yeah. not, that's not the, this is not the goal. I mean, yeah. that'd be cute. <laughs> you know? But like, but like <laughs> what in the perfect world, but like we, we are all imperfect. And yeah. so it's what we do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, what we do with our anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, and that how we've worked on that snake becoming this garden hose that we're now like wrapped up in and rolling mm-hmm. around with it because mm-hmm. we know it's our friend. <laughs> you know, it does nothing. Let's <laughs> keep our place alive. You know, <laughs> so yeah, like it's my work took many, many years because I, I didn't have the people around me to say like, you need to go like inpatient treatment. Like you yeah. need, I didn't have the professionals around me 
to say like body image is a thing like you you're this is what body image is and this is what negative body image is and this Mm -hmm. is what can cause all these things it was more of like here's all yes you had this trauma and then you know this is why you're doing these things let's fix the behavior but there was never this like discussion about like and by the way i can't look at myself in the mirror Mm -hmm. and then after having children and just to have an eight week old strapped to me right now, <laughs> you know, like after having babies, like every time I've had a kid, like my body has changed and like what my brain is doing to process this new body, mm-hmm. you know, is hard. And like, I'm, you know, we use skills and I talk about it and I think being surrounded by it is important because yeah. the more you're surrounded by the opposite message, the more you're going to believe that. So the Absolutely. more you surround yourself with these like fitness influencers and these like God knows what kind of dietitians or like health coaches and people that are, the more you surround yourself with that kind of stuff and the more your brain takes that message, the more you're going to think it's true. The more you surround yourself with people who are doing the actual work and showing up and and caring for the actual you, the more you're going to believe that part. Right. What would you say to somebody who's like, I don't want to, to learn to love a body if it doesn't look the way I want it to look now. I guess when I hear that, I think of like, wow, we've really future trip to like way down the road when like, let's just, what about today? Like, what Mm -hmm. can we do today? Because what you and I have just said was we've gotten our body image where it is today over years, you know, Mm -hmm. and the idea of going from like total hatred for ourselves and our bodies to self love, like hell Hell no, no. hell no, you know? And so it's, yeah, that sounds like, I don't want to do that either. That sounds terrible. Like I don't want to be on that trip. Mm -hmm. Well, because, and I, I don't know if you have this in you, but looking back, I would never have signed up for that. But now it doesn't matter to me. Like the stuff that mattered to me doesn't matter to me anymore because of the work I've done and the relationships I've built. I didn't have those five years ago. So it didn't, it couldn't register in my brain because I had not experienced the fact that my body does not matter as much as I think it does. If that makes sense. So when you say like, what, how about right now? Let's not go there. And who says we need to be there? Who told you that, that we have to do that? Is there some, where did you read that? Who's telling you that you have to love your body? Did a professional say that? Not, you know, and we've talked about this before. Not all professionals are created equal you know (laughs) they're just not i mean right like yeah any any doctors you know anybody is you know but it's about what is authentic for you and right now the idea of you loving yourself doesn't feel authentic because to go zero to 60 that's just not realistic Mm -hmm. so like how about today knowing that we get one body we can't trade it up so like how can we maybe just tolerate it right now or just acknowledge that it is connected to us and let's do something for it today. Yeah. And that speaks to like the body positive movement is great, but you don't have to be, have body positivity. It's also okay to maybe where you're going is neutral. Yeah. And as long as it's not causing behaviors to harm it further. Right. Right. When I say like, do something nice, I mean like, let's, maybe have a a meal yeah you know let's maybe not starve it Mm -hmm. let's maybe not Mm self-harm today like that's all i'm asking and it's the repetitive nature of doing one kind of thing that will lead you exposure it's experiencing your body in a new way today i'm gonna experience it with a meal Mm -hmm. in there and what does that feel like Mm -hmm. and it connects you and that's where that connection to mind and body is where it all starts but it's that's the snake connecting Mm -hmm. to your body like Mm -hmm. that is me asking you to stand in the same room as a poisonous snake and not move that's where we start or me telling you in the parking lot hey there's a copperhead in the in the house you know good luck (laughs) (laughs) just uh, just walk in there i'm not gonna tell you where it's at (laughs) 
I'm uh, not going in there. No. Yeah. Oh my God. That's why I'm in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's like, that's ter- I know when I say, when I'm asking someone to connect to their body by eating something or getting in the shower with the lights on, I know what I'm asking and mm-hmm. it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And that's why you don't say you have to do this perfectly every day and I'm expecting you to change overnight. It's like, we're going to try one thing. Right. One thing. That's it. Yeah. It's like, I couldn't get into the shower without the lights on today. But did you think about it? I did. Amazing. Because you never thought about it before. Or if you did, it was a hell no. Yeah. But today you, you thought about it that I could do that, but I'm not. And that's great. Progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost got you singing. Okay, so Crystal and I actually have to go do a call. Because <laughs> we actually work together sometimes. So we're going to wrap this episode up. We'll most likely definitely have her back because she literally is next to me every single day. And we have so much more we can cover on this. So I want to say thank you. And if you guys have questions about what we talked about or like follow up you can send them into my instagram unit therapy podcast thanks for having me (laughs) you're welcome i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes nearly 10 million dollars was all gone it's just unbelievable hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.